Well, I wasn't watching the timer there and had to had to pivot very quickly. Uh, what's up, guys? Alex McDonald in Atlanta, joined tonight by the uh, the man himself, Chris Lowry from the Brushfire Mind. Good to see you, Chris. What's going on, brother? Oh, not too much. I have been sick as a dog. I still am sick as a dog. Some kind of virus. Uh, had me up all, not all night, but up and down throughout the night last night, vomiting, uh, which is remarkably rare for me. The last time I remember actually throwing up from, from being ill was, uh, when I was nine years old and got my first migraine headache, Chris. Uh, yeah, other than that, the only, you know, the, the only puking I've done has been booze induced since then. Until now, I have some kind of virus, and it beat the ever-living shit out of me. Um, I'm hopefully, I'm 24 hours in, hopefully coming to the end of it now, but we shall see. So it's been a rough, uh, it's been a rough day for me. Um, oh, let me trigger a, uh, let me get Steve to tell us a joke real quick. Um... Let's say hi to folks. Let's see who's with us. Peggy Brown is here. Hey, Peggy. Good to see you. Uh, Jeff Kukin's here. What's up, Jeff? Good to see you, brother. Uh, there's Janine. Hi, Janine. Good to see you. There's Michelle. Michelle's been sick as well. And uh, it's good to see hi, you back. Hi, Michelle. Glad you're feeling better, Michelle. There's Canadian Bacon. What's up, Becky? Thinking about you. Hope you're, uh, said she had a bad day today. Waiting for an okay day. Yeah, our um, hearts go out to you, Becky. Hopefully, it's silly to say, hopefully it's getting easier because it's been such a short amount of time, but it will eventually begin to get easier. And you know where we are. You can always, uh, you can always reach out. Um, let's see. Richard Bradshaw is here. What's up, Richard? Uh, Diamond Dave. What's up, Dave? Good to see you, brother. Um, says, hope I'm feeling better. Hope I feel better soon. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I will. Um, Danielle, of course, is watching football, I think, this evening. Chris, yeah, I'm sure you're undefeated keeping... Undefeated Georgia Bulldogs versus undefeated TCU. The uh, Bulldogs have gone to Commieland to raid to claim the remainder of that undefeated title. Uh, at some point tonight, one of these, both of these undefeated seasons are going to come to an end. And one of them's going to come to an end in tears. So who is TCU? I mean, you say commie land. Where, where, where? It's, some, it's some California commie college. Oh, it's California? Yeah. Okay. Well, then, yes, go dogs. Beat them with impunity. Yeah, commies, commies deserve to be, uh, to be bludgeoned. Beat them you know, hard. Beat them soundly. Beat them with impunity. Yay, dogs. You know, one of the uh, one of the main first line players for the Bulldogs right now is a cat named Broderick, and his brother is actually my dad's next door neighbor. So on Thanksgiving, this, this just this past Thanksgiving, we had most of the starting line of the Georgia Bulldogs just hanging out in the driveway, shooting the shit with us. <laughs> That's kind of cool. That is funny. Yeah, that is kind of cool. 
Um, all right, let's talk I about. I don't follow football enough to have to have really known or cared who any of them were, but I I got a lot of family that are not just UGA fans, but actually UGA alum, and they they were bringing out their footballs that have been signed by players over the years, and it was a it was a pretty big event. Gotcha. Um, Dave, Dave says Texas Christian university. So maybe they're just playing the game in California, but the school itself is in Texas and, um, yeah, still go dogs. I guess yeah, I am. I am in Georgia. So still go dogs. Plus, I mean, the dogs are winning right now. So go dogs. <laughs> well, I'm going to count on you to keep people updated on the score as we go along them. 31 to seven current dogs are in the lead 31 to seven. Damn, that's that sounds like a thorough beating, to be honest with you. And I just came back from a basketball game. My uh, my seven year old boy, Mike Lowry, just went and uh, his team won twenty to two. Mike Lowry, like yeah. like bad boys, Mike Lowry. Well, I mean, I'm I'm Christopher. I understand Michael. you're Christopher my, Lowry. My middle name is Michael. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> that was Will Smith's character's yeah. name in Bad oh, Boys. Yeah. Mike Lowry. I've been hearing it my whole life. <laughs> yeah, Mike Lowry. Um, all right. If, if it's any, if it, if it helps any, my boy's name is Michael Reardon, after the uh, steel magnate from Atlas Shrugged. Okay. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um. So Kevin McCarthy. <laughs> Speaking of losers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so let, let I'm going to flash back to Thursday when I said, if, if these people, if any of these guys, and it was five in particular, if any of them have any principles whatsoever, Kevin McCarthy will not be speaker. Lo and behold, Kevin McCarthy is speaker. So... You know, obvious. What do, what does that tell us? But here's the thing: it took 15 rounds of voting and a couple of fights on the floor yep. be- between uh, Matt Gates and uh, some. So who who's that guy that chairs the? Uh, I think it was the judiciary that went after him and had to be pulled back. That was oh, no, I, I missed that. Was that. Funny. That was uh, that was pretty funny. But see, I want to see I want to see our American House of Representatives go a little British start throwing some punches and hitting each other with canes and shit. That's the, Jap- just... that's the Japanese parliament, man. You oh, ever yeah. seen those guys go at yeah. it? No, and the, the Australian parliament too. That's, yeah. I'm they... in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shit. If they start, if they start throwing haymakers in the house. I might just run for office. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just worried about your leg bone. Anyone that's seen the video knows what Dave's talking about there. Um, <laughs> But Kevin McCarthy is now speaker, which means, you know, we were obviously we knew it's politicians. We yeah. know we're dealing with a bunch of unprincipled jag- jags, jagoffs who uh, who are there to, to uh, effectively enrich themselves. Yeah, he was selected. It was his turn. Yeah. And I have no problem with Kevin McCarthy being speaker. But he made an awful lot of concessions to get there. Chris and I, I like them. I like a lot. Of well, them. some of them I do and had, you know, had this whole argument been about policy and rules, 
I would have had no problem with it, but then it gets into right. committees and, and power and self-serving. And, but a lot of these changes, I agree, were for the good. It gives a little power, only a little, mind you, back to the representatives. Um, it, it brings a little accountability back into the process where it gives them – it requires 72 hours to present a bill uh, for, for, quite frankly, for editing as well. Individual yep. reps will be able to offer up edits to bills. But well, it's 72 so, hours that, that most of them aren't going to use to read the bill anyway, because it's not what they do. But go ahead. So we talked about this on, on the BFM in the morning last Thursday when we were at nine votes, nine losses. Uh, Rokana, Democrat, tweeted out, hey, I can bring you enough Democrats to get you over the line to your 218, but these are the concessions I want. And the concessions that Ro Khanna said he would bring Democrats to McCarthy for were we will not have a debate on raising the debt ceiling. Right. And we will restrict the uh, power of the GOP to issue subpoenas from the House. And those are those two right there. That's McCarthy could have taken and I'll I'll give McCarthy credit. He could have taken Ro Khanna up on that. Yeah. Made two what he would have been able to spin in the press as minor concessions. They are not minor concessions. No, this, well, the subpoena issue especially is a, exactly. an absolute no-go. You can never do that. I kind of get him on the debt ceiling, though. One of the concessions that Kevin McCarthy agreed to was a one-member motion to vacate, which in, meaning that one member can now begin the process of removing the Speaker of the House. And... That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And and follow me on this. Okay. There I'm, are. I'm going to push back on you on this. Cameron and I had this conversation this morning on the show. There are many members, many of them, that really don't have a clue about what's going on around them. Yep. Many of these representatives, when it comes to raising the debt, and we've seen it from Republicans a lot. We see Republican representatives stand up and oppose raising the debt ceiling often, like every time it comes up, because they grossly misunderstand what they're voting for. They've already appropriated the money. If they're concerned, they think that raising the debt ceiling is permission to spend more money. It's right. not. It just isn't. The permission to spend more money comes when they appropriate the money and pass the spending bills. One just passed for $1.7 trillion with, what, 30 Republican votes? Yeah. I think like 30 Republicans and jumped that, on board. Now, that's that's the one concession that was made for him to get the Republicans on board. Uh, you, you mentioned the five and said, if you know, if McCarthy... If McCarthy gets speaker, these five don't have any principles. And I'll push back on that statement a little bit just on that one concession. The omnibus will be voted on per item. So it will be it will there will not be another omnibus in theory. In theory. And but, right, but right. we know we know but how you, that's but, gonna go. But you could say you could say that about any political promise. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Now the thing the thing about the one the one voter uh, speaker chair vac vacating vote. Um, it's one member has the authority to call for that vote. Correct. And 
as far as the potential for that to be abused, that's how it was until Nancy Pelosi was the speaker for the entire history of the U.S. government. One, any one member of the House could call for that. Essentially, it's not called a vote of no confidence, but that's what it is. Uh, and it has not been abused historically. Now, that doesn't mean that the potential for its abuse doesn't exist. But what we've been looking at is the potential for its abuse existed, and it was not abused historically. And when Nancy Pelosi came in as the speaker, being precisely the sort of character that that power was intended to retard and control, Pelosi has has been an absolute monument of corruption for her entire tenure as speaker. And, and she's been in and out of the speakership for uh, almost 20 years. Uh, but basically, she came in and said, OK, oh, hey, here's a thing that says I can't get away with doing crooked shit, and I'm just going to shut that down. That's, you know, basically, the, the new drug dealer came into town and said, you know what? Let's switch off all the cops. I don't need those in my life. So uh, going back to the way it was before, I like the idea of there being a constant disrupting possibility. One thing I don't ever want government to be is stable. So I, I understand where you're coming from, right? I, I get the principle. But the re... The, it wasn't abused in the past because we didn't have members in the past that misunderstood things like raising the debt ceiling. Right. Well, and, and the potential now one member can throw the entire Congress into disarray. And then if his vote fails, a second member can step up and do it. And when that vote fails, a third member can step up and do it. And the risk now, the, the potential now exists for them to drive us into default over something like the debt ceiling because it's been, in my opinion, been made way too easy to apply those checks and balances. I agree with you. There needs to be a process in place. And sure, it maybe it doesn't need to be a majority of the members to initiate the process. But there should be a caucus required. Shouldn't well, just be a single so member. Just to clarify something real quick, the way the process worked prior to this new implementation is that no member of the House, with the exception of about uh, 10 people in leadership, could call for that vote of no confidence. No, Nobody could initiate it right. except for a small handful of precisely the elites where the corruption was happening, to include Pelosi uh, and whoever the House minority leader was at the time and, and a couple of the uh, committee leaders. There, there was a handful of leadership that could initiate that, that call. Um, and to your point, to your point about the potential for there to be upheaval and uh, disarray as a result of this, um, I when Cameron made an, an argument this morning very similar to the one you're making, and I rebutted with almost exactly what I just what I just went through as far as this is how it was done historically; it wasn't abused. And then I, I went back and said, but I will play devil's advocate on on my own point a bit there. And the fact of the matter is, while we did not see that that power abused historically, it is also true that we are now in the era of post 
Trump's impeachments. And the thing about Trump's impeachments, you know, everybody knows that Trump was impeached twice, and that's never happened to any other president. Um, and, you know, I mean, impeachment was rare before Trump. But what I want you guys to remember also is the Democrat Party has initiated impeachment proceedings against every sitting Republican president for the past 70 years. Now, they've only been successful with Donald Trump, and they were successful in pushing those proceedings forward twice. But it's also important to remember that during the during Donald Trump's administration, uh, he he underwent more impeachment, more calls for impeachment than any other president in history. And I don't just mean calls for impeachment. Literally on the day after his inauguration, four separate Democrats filed articles of impeachment, but never went to vote. Sure. And they just kept doing it. So sure, but it's, here's it's here's the to so here's that Donald the, Trump was never impeached uh, over a particular uh, political yeah, position. Yeah. Here's the they difference. They decided though. when he was elected that they would impeach. Here's him. the difference, though. That's done by committee. That doesn't <clears throat> disrupt the rest of Congress. It doesn't shut down business in the House. Mm. This does a motion to True. vacate. If 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 now if one member calls for a motion to vacate, we are right back where we were last week, all over where they're voting for a new speaker. And if, if you don't have the numbers, it's going to drag on for days and days. Well, when we have a debt ceiling deadline coming up, that's a terrible position for the United States to be in. And it's far more dangerous than a, a committee of, you know, partisan Democrats debating a, a bogus impeachment. That, that's where the difference exists here. Well, Okay, so my point about the, the Trump impeachments is that we're talking about this power existing among the people who are the government post-Trump impeachment. And so it, it cannot be undersold that we're basically we're talking about people who are much more likely and uh, much more interested in doing precisely the kind of disruptive stuff that you're saying is, is a possibility as a result. And so devil's advocate, I'll absolutely concede that. And uh but I do want to take it one step further. And uh, you pointed out that basically we're in danger of that disrupting the vote on the debt ceiling. And yeah, I mean that's that's an, that's that just an example. If, bear in mind that's just right, no, no. Yeah. I, I got you. But as far as the debt ceiling goes, if that vote doesn't happen, there's a government shutdown. Right. That's mm -hmm. that's the threat. Government shutdown. Well, and a default. Ask, uh, it's more than that. It's a default on our debt. Right. But let me ask let me ask you and the audience this one. How much did it hurt you the last time the government shut down? So again, funding the government's I one love thing. me some government yeah. shutdowns. Yeah, funding the government's one thing, having a shutdown for that reason is is all well and good, quite frankly, in my opinion. And and you would think it would make them think twice about the shady nonsense they get up to, but it doesn't. So shutting down by failing to fund the government, yay, great, let's go for it. Let's uh, let's force some spending cuts through that. Right. Defaulting on the national debt and losing the petrodollar, using losing the dollar as the default currency, um, destroying the credit rating of the United States. That's another matter entirely. And again, I I don't know that we'll even come to this. 
maybe maybe these uh, maybe these folks who have opposed a debt ceiling increase maybe getting the bill 72 hours in advance will give them an opportunity to read the bill and and figure out exactly <laughs> what raising the debt ceiling means and avoid that happening but it it's um i it's 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 one of those very potentially catastrophic situations that could arise by a one member motion to vacate immediately because as soon as they raise that they immediately go into voting for a new speaker immediately and if there are five holdouts guess what well if i understand it they they actually it's it's a vote to vacate mm -hmm. and they actually have that vote and if that vote does, if that vote fails, then obviously, the chair hasn't been vacated, and they don't need to elect a new speaker. If that vote is successful, then they have to go and elect a new speaker. Maybe could be. Let's hope that's how it works. Let's hope that's how it works. That's not my understanding of it, but maybe it's it's quite possible my understanding of it is entirely wrong. Um, but my understanding was, yeah, one person raises the issue and you immediately move into votes for speaker. And, no, uh, I, I don't think that's uh, no. It's it. One person can raise the can raise a vote to vacate the the speakership, mm -hmm. and then you have to if that passes, then you vote for the new speaker. Gotcha. Well, I, I, either way, if one person can do it and then another person does it, and another person does it, you could end up with 15 votes anyway, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you could they can throw us into that turmoil. And again, maybe I'm just... Uh, obviously, I'm looking at what I think would be the worst-case scenario. There's nothing else I can think of that would be as detrimental to the United States as that, you know? Uh, fail into, failure to fund the government... Yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. So federal employees don't get paid and social security checks don't go out for a little bit until you yep. decide you're going to cut some spending. Um, hey, I, I was in Afghanistan fighting terrorists one time when my wife called me on Skype and said, babe. Government's about to shut down. Where, where, where's the rent money? Right. What, 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 do you, what do you mean where's the rent money? I'm out here killing terrorists. They're paying me to kill terrorists. There's there should be money. Well, we didn't get paid this month. What? what, what? <laughs> that was under Obama. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see what happens. Listen, I, I agree. A lot of the concessions, I think, were, I, I'm not going to say needed, but they are, they're good concessions yeah. in the right hands. Right. Well, I don't... the seventy-two hour thing is is insufficient. It's, you know, it's it's better than not the seventy-two hour thing. But that's like, okay, my car's my car's almost out of gas, which is okay. I got another gallon to put in it, but that didn't change my dry oil pan situation. Right. You know, if you can't, you know. You still can't read a five thousand page bill and understand it sufficiently to form a coherent opinion. No, in seventy two hours, absolutely not. It's and, not possible. And, and like I said, they're not going to use that seventy two hours to try to read it of or understand not. it anyway. These are the, whether Republican or Democrat. These are mostly party line representatives that are going to vote the way they're 
expected to vote the way they're told to vote. Um, even Rand Paul, even Rand Paul is going to vote the way he's expected to vote. He'll, he'll bitch and whine about 72 hours, not being enough. Rightly so, you know, he, or he, he's about the only one right now that really makes a stink and complains about being presented a bill one day and being expected to pass it the next day. Um, he'll be the, probably the only one to say, listen, 72 hours isn't enough, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Obviously he's in the Senate. And and I've, I've often said, if there was anything I could change about how our government runs, um, if I if I could just change one thing, I would take uh, I would take the whole process of writing bills, and the rule would be one action item, one page. Mm-hmm. If you can't if you can't fit it on one page, it is not sufficiently intelligible. It's not law. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen now with the with individual members being allowed to uh, submit amendments? Yeah. I think it's going to get it's going to be even more of a, these bills are going to be even more of a cluster. In my opinion. But again, we, we now we get to sit back and watch and wait and see. But let's talk about what we expect now to happen now that now that McCarthy has the speakership, now that Republicans are taking control of their committees, where we, we know what they say their priorities are. We're going to talk about one of those stories tonight, immigration. What else do you think they're going to be trying to handle, Chris? Do you think do you think for one second they will do anything about social media censorship? Yes. Well, okay. I say yes, but I, but let me qualify it. What they're going to do is they're going to do some investigations. They're going to make a bunch of noise and then they're not going to actually accomplish anything. So they, they will, they will grandstand and make a big deal out of going after some stuff. Uh, what they will not do, what they should do is proceed with a, with a deep dive investigation that targets the individual members of the intelligence community, the the FBI, the CIA, um, who were all balls deep in Twitter and Facebook. Yes. Because what we've seen and what what the evidence that we've seen from the Twitter files now, it is clear that what happened in the 2020 election is the Federal Bureau of Investigations used the social media platforms not to conduct but to cover up a coup. Mm -hmm. So they conducted a coup and then they used the social media platforms in part of that conduct, but primarily in order to cover up and hide the, uh, the activity itself. So, yeah, you, you hear people start talking about voting machines and whatnot. It's like, that's not what happened. That's not right. what happened. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right there. They'll they won't accomplish anything. Is the same it, uh, thing will happen with Hunter Biden's laptop. They, yeah, they'll make a big stink out of it. They'll probably bring Hunter in to testify in front of a committee. Um, I have a feeling Hunter will incriminate himself just like uh, Hillary Clinton actually went in, incriminated herself, and perjured herself in front of the the Judiciary Committee and right. the Intelligence Committee. Right. Committee, and then we just oh. I, now, well, I guess it's okay to perjure yourself. So I I do have a feeling. Listen, we talked about it when Trump was uh, when Trump was impeached. That the impeachment's now going to be weaponized, and it's going to, yep. in my opinion, become it's going to become all too common. It's going to become the 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 norm rather than the exception. 
I, I think this Hunter Biden investigation is actually going to ultimately lead to articles of impeachment on Joe I Biden. I hope so. Um, I, I think we've got a, I think there's a much stronger case for the impeachment of Joe Biden, oh. or at least a 25th Amendment proceeding uh, to remove him for in, incompetence. Um, Based on I, what I've seen, I there's absolutely... Little, I have very little confidence in my expectations of GOP reps to do their jobs. And I'm afraid that what's actually going to happen is for basically the rest of the the rest of the experiment until the United States collapses as a as a confederated nation, we're going to see that every Republican who serves in the in the White House will be impeached yep. for something. And the Democrats, the Republicans just won't they won't have the sack to go forward and and do the same thing. They'll continue to try and play by Marcus Queensbury rules and just put them up, put them up. Right. Yeah. And never actually throw that wild haymaker that they need to be throwing. Yeah. Well, we'll see what they do. I, I don't have a great deal of faith, unfortunately, in the Republican Party these days. Um, it's heartbreaking to, to watch what's happening. The, the Republicans are a poor champion against an encroaching evil that is effective and severe. Yes. What's up, Hans? Good to see you, brother. Let me bring that up. Good to see you, man. Thank you for tuning in. Um, all right. So probably not a great deal to uh, to expect from the Republicans. Um, they're going to be talking about immigration, Chris. They're going to be initiating <laughs> an investigation of the collapse of the border. I know you you personally enjoy this topic. Joe Biden. Yeah, we used to run a seg. We used to run Taco Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Joe Biden just visited the border for the first time since he became president. Is it merely coincidental that his visit co coincided with the Republicans forming their immigration oh, yeah. committee and investigation? Um, I don't think it's coincidental. It was he's he's obviously headed down there. Plus, Title 42 remains in place. Uh, he's now talking about expanding Title 42. I don't know what that means from Joe Biden's perspective, expanding Title 42. Uh, because we know he's not in the hurry to deport illegal aliens by any means. But he went down to the border and he went with a plan in hand, Chris. Part of that plan is a path to citizenship or a path to legalization for, what is it, 30,000 migrants per month from Cuba, Nicaragua, Haiti, or and Venezuela migrants he says migrants that cross into the US illegally are exempt from the program as they should be because that's what current US law is yeah but let's okay and I'm, let's think for a minute about what that actually means um because what he's saying is we we already know that there's that there's a record number of illegal immigrants coming into the country Title 42 has not stopped that from being the case. Now, you, there's, there's a good argument to be made that Title 42 and the application of Title 42 has reduced or prevented some of the illegal immigration. But if that's true, 
The fact is that there is so much illegal immigration that minus whatever Title 42 has managed to reduce, we're, we're still even above and beyond historic highs. And we have to remember— highs. And what he's talking about here is adding an additional 30,000 immigrants per month to that number. Well, we have to remember, though— illegal and legal. Yeah, there is. And we have to remember, though, that Title 42 was effectively suspended under Biden. Title, four, Title 42 was, was a fast track to deport, basically— they gave the under is under an emergency rule under COVID, and they were able to deport migrants quickly without having to go through all the the legal proceedings and all of the the court appearances and shit like that. Joe Biden suspended that. The courts have have now re-implemented Title 42, and the Supreme Court will be taking up Title 42 in March. So now that Joe Biden acknowledges that it is in fact the law. And that these border towns can now begin to start deporting these people. Now he's talking about expanding it in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know what, like I said, I don't know what that means for Joe Biden. Because he doesn't want these folks deported. Right. Now, the fact that he says... Yeah, the fact that he says people that cross into the country illegally uh, aren't included in the program. Well, no, they're not. That's the law of the United States. And he's the president of the United States. He doesn't get to make law. He doesn't get to change law. But that's what he's going to try to do by with the stroke of a pen. You know, the current law is if you enter the United States illegally, you you are expelled for 10 years. That's the punishment is expulsion for 10 years and you cannot apply for citizenship even if you re-enter legally. It's different if you come in on a visa and overstay your visa. That's considered a misdemeanor and um, those are easily forgiven, but you did not commit a crime to enter the country and that's why those are easily forgiven. My problem with this whole thing is that it it's against the law. It's up to Congress to do these things. And Congress have chosen overwhelmingly Republican and Democrat not to act on this. Democrats have had control for how not up, up until now, how long did Democrats have control for? Uh, four years. And how much immigration law did they pass? They were, they were happy to sit back and let the status quo be the status quo. Now they're going to obviously try to turn this around, weaponize it against Republicans and say, oh, Republicans are anti-immigrant. We're not anti-immigrant. We're we're pro-law. Well, it's very much it's very much like the Roe v. Wade situation. The Democrats were in were in control for quite a while. They could have taken steps to codify Roe v. Wade in the law, and they never did. And it's because they want to continue to have the issue to argue on. Right. Um, Right. Obviously, I would have. I would have been pitching a temper tantrum and jumping up and down and pulling somebody's hair out if if they'd made the move to codify Roe v. Wade. I'm not a big fan of murdering babies, but uh but it, you know as an example, that's like that is the basically the general operating the the SOP. Right. But Joe Biden saying that he's offering a legal pathway for 30,000 migrants per month. He doesn't have that authority, man. Um, correct. Now, Obama did something similar 
but he did it a little different. Uh, what Obama did is instead of trying to pass new laws, uh, you know, for example, the Dreamer, the Dream Act. Uh, what Obama did is, and and this was skirting the authority of the president to enact new law. As the chief law enforcement officer, he simply chose not to enforce certain laws. Uh, there was a, a heap of perfectly legitimate criticism to be leveled on Obama over that. But in all fairness, he he did it. He was technically right that he could do it. And of course, technically right is the best kind of right. Sure. And that, and obviously that's what Joe Biden with did, did with Title 42. He chose not to enforce it. The courts have now forced him to enforce it. Correct. And, and that's what they're going to start doing. And, you know, he got away with it because under his emergency powers authority due to COVID, that's how Title 42 got implemented. But what he's talking about now is changing immigration law, but not not merely enforcing, choosing right, to enforce or not. Yeah, he's talking about changing the law with a stroke of a pen by fiat. He doesn't have that authority. He's talking about doing something that will be remarkably detrimental to the United States in this current economy, in this current economic environment. 30,000 a month, 450,000 a year. It's a lot of migrants. That's in addition to yeah. that's in addition to the other immigrant. This is just for people crossing the border. These this is for migrants. This doesn't even include other pathways of immigration which used to be capped. There used to be quotas on them. I don't know if there are anymore, especially from the South American countries. I imagine they've lifted all of those quotas. There were quotas, there were requirements, there were language requirements, there were um, uh, ward of the state requirements. There were a lot, which I imagine have been put off to the side under COVID emergency authority, which we know Democrats would love to codify into law and keep those permanent and remove any actual requirements for migration. I'm a migrant, right? I came here from the UK. I had to jump through a lot of damn hoops to come here leg legally. There were a lot of requirements put on me to come here legally. Those, you know, those requirements you know, don't a, work anymore. There, there's a new super woke film out there. Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. I haven't seen it, but I've heard some commentary on it. Have you heard about the villain? Mm -mm. So Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, right? It's the Black Panther 2 movies are super hyper black nationalist, right? Uh, they're all about they're all about these Africans that live in this super advanced, technologically advanced city with a big wall around it. Right. And they're they're black nationalists. Okay. The primary villain in Wakanda Forever is a Mexican whose superpower is derived because he's he's like a Mexican Aquaman. And so in order to defeat him, they have to drag him out to the desert. I shit you not. And dry his back off. Oh. Because that's how he gets his superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I would I would say I that shit you not. I would say that Hollywood are tone deaf, but they know exactly <laughs> they know exactly what they're doing there. You know, if if Guy Ritchie put imagery like that in any one of his movies, he would be canceled immediately. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That's if absolutely I made that amazing. movie, I'd be assassinated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shit. If we made that movie, it would result in an embassy being invaded in a foreign country. Yeah. If you get that reference. <laughs> no, I don't know anything about Bolsonaro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's um, let's talk about this one. Another, just some more absolute craziness. Um, oh, before you before you bring up California, let me take a peek at California. Thirty eight to seven, guys. Mm-hmm. Halftime, thirty eight to dogs. seven. Go dogs! Go dogs! So this is in California, AB two fifty seven. There's a joke circulating in California that goes like this: What's the difference between the Titanic and the state of California? The Titanic <laughs> went down with its lights on. <laughs> You don't have to live here to get the dark humor, though it helps. Governor Gavin Newsom led the effort to eliminate oil drilling and ban the sale of new gas-powered vehicles beginning in 2035 and simultaneously begged us not to run the AC or charge electric vehicles during California's annual sizzling farewell to summer. Okay, so real quick before you read the uh, the rest of the article, a little context here for uh, for the folks at home if you're not tracking on this. It's, it says in this article that he begged us not to run the AC or charge electric vehicles during the annual sizzling farewell to summer. Um, that doesn't really tell the story adequately, though. Something you guys need to understand there. A lot of homes, especially in Los Angeles and San, especially in the richer parts of California, are smart homes. And they have these smart uh, uh, climate control systems. Those those are controlled externally. And so during the hot, hot time of the summer, it wasn't just that the governor was asking people not to run their ACs. They were actually, their ACs were being shut off by an external authority. Actually, that was in Texas. California didn't go to those lengths. Texas did. But you're, you're right. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That happened in Texas. Um, the the potential there exists and it was it was done by the power company it wasn't done uh it wasn't even done by the state but no you're right the potential there exists and here's an, it's an opt-in program yeah it's an opt-in program and in, in texas it is anyway it won't be in california eventually everyone in california will be hooked up to that and this is why they're pushing electric cars in my opinion chris they're not pushing electric cars to save their environment they're pushing electric cars so they can c- control your ability to move freely because oh, yeah. they will be hooked up and they can they can flip a switch and tell you you're not charging they can flip a switch and shut your car off but that's a, that's another conversation Let's uh, let's talk about this nightmare before we even get to that nightmare. So few of us were surprised when on Labor Day 2022, the governor signed Assembly Bill 257, which promises to rescue the poor, but will in fact immiserate them. The law was set to go into effect today, but has been put on hold by a judge for now. Immiserate is such yeah, a, a great word. Descriptive word. Yeah. 
called the Fast Recovery Act, the new law will do for unions what decades of organizing could not accomplish in the dynamic fast food business. It neatly eliminates the hard work of organizing unwilling workers by declaring them wards of the state commission, <laughs> wards of a state commission comprising 13 political appointees who will govern work and wages in California's fast food <sighs> businesses. They, they claim, or they estimate, Chris, uh, look, every show, my mouse and... Uh, controls go to sleep and they have they estimate chris that this this board of commissioners that are going to be handpicked right these people aren't voted on these people aren't chosen by the uh these people aren't chosen by the the voters of california not that it would matter they would no, still of choose not. you only ever get to vote for the first commie right and again not that it would matter because they would just choose commies anyway right. but the the estimate is here we go the smart money says California's elected officials will hustle to appoint union-friendly commissioners who will quickly impose on fast food operators a $23 hourly rage, wage. More rage is probably a better uh, better description. More <laughs> costly hourly rage. Yeah, more costly benefits and molecular regulations of work rules. Where that language right there, molecular regulations. Where do where do you start? Just where do you begin to unpack this one? You start with no. You start with no, and a court has blocked it right now. Um, I don't know that that's going to last in California. It you won't. know, if that was a if that was a, a limited court appeals court decision, and then they call for an on bank ruling. Once the leftist judges get seated, they'll they'll gladly pass this. You know, in completely unrelated news, this is like the fifth or sixth consecutive year that U-Haul rentals in California have outstripped national U-Haul rentals by gigantic margins right people people just <laughs> fleeing california um and the next industry to flee california by the looks of it is going to be the fast food industry yeah you just the the california vegans will be thrilled when suddenly you can't buy a, a cheeseburger anymore and then and then they're going to wake up one morning and say but wait a minute wait a minute where I, I why can't i buy my impossible whopper anymore right you know people you're an idiot that's right. why and you know, people will say, "No, wait a second. This, this, the, the market will, the market will adapt to this." How well did the market adapt to this with the car industry, the automobile industry? Now that wasn't a forced takeover, but it was forced unionization. You, right. you, and Detroit looks like Detroit looks like Hiroshima the day after. Right, right. That's what this this California, or at least the California fast food industry is going to look like Hiroshima. You can't buy a pickup truck right now for less than 50, 60, $70,000. Some pickup you know, trucks are in the six figures. <laughs> right. So, you know, some of these things are in the six figures. That part of a lot of that is a byproduct of what the unions did to the auto industries. The fact that you have folks up there who are making 80 bucks an hour to sweep the floors. Yep. You give this level of control 
to a, a hand-picked commission who, who are absolutely going to be pro-union, who are absolutely going to push. Now, the union is going to have the ear of this commission. Everything the union want, they're going to be able to run through this commission. There's going to be no checks and balances. And the industry themselves are going to have zero power in this. Do you think for a second there's going to be industry representation on this board of commissioners? No. Absolutely not. No, and, and they're going to get their $23 an hour, and it'll turn into $30 an hour, and and the uh, the wage slaves that can't manage to get your order right when you go through the drive-thru, that can't, that can't use basic English, even though it's their only language, they'll celebrate getting their $30 an hour, right. and then they'll bitch and moan and say, well, why are my eggs $10 a carton? Right. Why is my milk $15 a gallon? Yeah. There is... One, I can't even get government cheese. Mm -hmm. There is one potential upside. Listen, there, there are many downsides to this, and the downsides are going to play out long before the upsides to this play out. But there is one potential long-term upside to this, Chris, and that's driving up wages across the board in other sectors. You know, if somebody can go to a McDonald's and make 23 bucks an hour, it means that somebody making, you know, 23 bucks an hour on the shop floor, for example, is, is going to be in a position to demand a higher market rate. Yep. But that comes at the expense of higher cost of services to everybody else. And in this age of inflation and, uh, you know, with with the, the labor shortages that we're experiencing, the fact that the labor pool is so decimated right now, that is a very minor benefit compared to the pain that comes along with it. Now, the best thing we could do to solve the problem of inflation today is to abolish all minimum wage laws. Mm -hmm. I've, I've made this argument so many times. If we did not have a minimum wage, there would be nobody, nobody in this country currently making less than 15 or 20 bucks an hour. Correct. The minimum wage is an artificial cap on wages. It prevents people from making more money. It was never designed to put more money in people's pockets. It was designed to keep people in servitude. It was designed to keep people just poor enough that they have to still be dependent on government for well, other sources of the, income. Um, the immediate result of the original passage of minimum wage was the instantaneous elimination of jobs. Right. Right. As soon as a minimum wage passed, you, you no longer have a, a kid getting paid a buck fifty or two dollars an hour for ten hours a week to walk you to your seat in the movie theater with a flashlight. Because why the hell am I going to pay a kid to do that? I was paying the kid to do that because he's a kid that wanted to have a job so he could build a resume, not because he was somebody that needed to earn a living wage. Because he's a fifteen-year-old kid that wanted to be able to buy his own soda pop and then be able to tell somebody when he's sixteen, I've held a job. Right. And. That was eliminated. But it's, I mean, it's hurt every single one of us. All yep. of our wages are lower because we have a minimum wage. It was an artificial cap on wages. This transfer of wealth that we've seen to the, you know, to the the 1%, the elites, the folks that, that uh, well, there, I think their wealth, their wealth went up by four or 500% during COVID while everybody else's wealth went down a little bit. 
that transfer of wealth began back when they implemented a minimum wage. And that transfer of wealth wouldn't... Of course, I'm not saying that the wealthy don't need to get wealthy. Of course they do. But we wouldn't have seen the, the, the split of that transfer of wealth, the level of that wealth going to the, the top echelon versus, you know, your blue collar workers, we wouldn't have seen that large of a split had we never had a minimum wage because wages would have kept up. Well, quite simply, the, the transfer of wealth that you're talking about, this, this is the problem with socialism. Um, just all socialism generally, whether you're talking about centralized government control of, of the healthcare industry, minimum wages, uh, union organization, and, you know, in anywhere that you talk about government involving itself in controlling wages, commerce, anything, what you're always looking at when you start talking about socialist policies, oh, well, we're going to make it, we're going to make it fair for everybody. Right. It, the, the only way that happens an accomplished communist regime involves a central authority, which is like one or two percent of the population that holds all the wealth. Just below that, you have a second tier police state entity. And then below that, dead flat, everybody gets the same food. Everybody gets the exact same amount of transportation, the same number of new suits of clothes every year. Everybody gets everything they need, but no more. Right. And so every single socialist maneuver results in flattening the lower third. And it's not a third. It's the, the lower 90% get flattened. It's what Kierkegaard referred to as the leveling process and right. a nightmare dystopia that Kierkegaard described when he talked about the leveling process using the example of the diamond on the ice with the figure skater, is that once the leveling process is begun, every attempt to stop the leveling process is a different type of leveling process. Yeah, it's, and, it's and a nightmare scenario. That's right. And, and that's, we're in it. that's exactly, we are, we're right in it. That's exactly what the minimum wage was. Even at this point, even eliminating the minimum wage, which would be a remarkably good idea, it still wouldn't, it still wouldn't fix that imbalance that currently exists. That at, at this point, that's too far gone. It's a bit too late. It will eventually. So, it, assuming we got rid of a, mid, a minimum wage, it would eventually sort itself out. But it would take a lot of time for wages to catch up to where they should be. But yeah, all of our wages, every single person in America, our wages are artificially capped because of a minimum wage. That one metric determines what every other segment of America, the mark, what the, the determines what the market will bear for yeah. that. And to be clear, if there were not a minimum wage, the fast food jobs would pay less comparatively. Sure. And the, and then the other jobs would pay more. Sure. And, it would be a, a, a proper merit based system. Right. There, there would be much more disparity yep. between the different positions and levels of income, the lower, middle, upper class. There would be more income disparity. But the lower wages would be set against a less inflated market and have more buying power, even in their lower wages. Right. And the resultant 
the resultant oceanic gap in disparity between the lowest wages and the highest wages would leave more step ladder step rungs on the ladder and it would increase the mobility the actual uh financial mobility of the individual to move up to and move climb up that the ladder. scale exactly because like i said Listen, I'm estimating this, but had we never had a minimum wage, I don't think anybody in America right now would be making any less than 20 bucks an hour. And that would be on the low end, right? Then you would have, uh, let's so let's say that's your fast food workers. Then let's look into your service industries. Those people would be making 50, 60, 70,000 a a, a year, whatever that works out to an hour. Because, you know, well, (laughs) it's hard, it's hard to, peg exact numbers because the fact of the matter is if it had not been for the minimum wage uh and the resultant inflation because we we've had extraordinary inflation over the last 40 years as a result of minimum wage right. uh if it had not been for that level of inflation resulting from the minimum wage initially then we wouldn't be in a situation like we are right now where uh, a dollar in 2023 is only worth about uh, 15 cents against a, say, 1995 dollar, right? Um, you know, 20 years ago, and I, I remember being a kid and hearing old people say, well, when I was a kid, my pack of cigarettes only cost 25 cents. Well, when I was a kid, my my pack of cigarettes only cost $2. Now they're six, seven, eight bucks a cart, a pack. Right. You know, I, I pay 70 bucks a carton for my cigarettes now, which is outrageous, aggravating, almost drives me to quit. A lot of that <laughs> syntax, though. We can't yeah. forget that. In fact, the vast majority of that increase is. is syntax. It is. Um, but but my point is the the step from working in fast food to working in another service industry and making a lot more money is a much easier step than to, to get into a good, you know, livable median wage effectively than going from fast food industry to upper management, for example, without the minimum wage, you're absolutely right. The pathway to wealth is opened up. It's unlocked. It's actually literally paved in money for you to be able to do it. And this, 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 we would have seen so many differences. This, this um, college, this education, what is it? Student debt crisis we're seeing. We never would have seen that. We right. never would have seen that because the the need for that expensive college degree, it wouldn't have existed. It would not have existed had the government not capped other forms of employment with a fake with a with an artificial minimum wage at the very bottom tier, which capped all the other tiers. And the so the the education thing, and I, I won't I won't talk about this for too long, but let me touch on it since you mentioned it. Um, for for all those sociopaths out there, <coughs> excuse me, for all those sociopaths out there that are talking about free college, you know, okay, we're two years of of state college funded. Right. Everybody gets two years of state college. Show me the job posting you've seen in the last 20 years that said it requires a high school diploma. Right. Everybody's got one. So nobody cares. Right. Guaranteed. You give everybody an associate's degree. 
It becomes your high school diploma. It becomes your high school diploma. Yep. And honestly, go go look at job postings right now. I I strongly doubt you're going to find any that are interested in your associate's degree now. No. Right. No. If people people either want if they if they want a degree at all, they want a bachelor's or better. Yeah, they either want a bachelor's or better or years and years of experience. More commonly, they want both. Mm-hmm. They uh, listen. We still have the problem where, and listen, you know, I I work in uh, I work in an industry that's as guilty of this, where they want a lot of qualifications, a lot of experience, and they want to pay as little as they possibly can. Right. But we're in a position now where where people are are able to negotiate. They're in a good position to negotiate right now. It is it is absolutely a uh, an employee's job market at the moment. Let's put it that right. way. Um, but that's not gonna that's not gonna last. It's not gonna last forever. Um, but yeah, I mean, but hey, it's, with it's my a, credentials, it's, I did. Yeah, it's a moot point because we have a minimum wage, and that minimum right. wage with, is with going to continue. I get headhunted all the time, and I just don't want to work for anybody. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, but with that minimum wage, it's a moot point because nothing's going to change. And Democrats will try to throw those people a bone every now and then, say, no, it needs to go up to, what are we at now? What's the national minimum wage? $10, $7.50, $10? What is it? I don't even know. Um, it's nothing. It's Here's, it's a, here's a fun little trivia for you, Alex. I have at no point in my life ever earned minimum wage. No, me either. Me either. I, even, I worked at McDonald's and Papa John's and, you know, different fast food. Well, I guess McDonald's the only fast food joint I ever worked at, but I, I, I worked restaurants and stuff uh, between construction jobs when I was in high school, even. Yeah. And even back then, even at 15 working in a, working in a kitchen, I have never earned minimum yeah. wage. I never have. I've never taken money from the government other, other than the COVID payments that they sent out, which I mm-hmm. have, which I have sitting in the bank ready to pay back because I have no doubt they're going <laughs> to, they're, I have no doubt they're going to come to us at one one day and say, oh, we need that money back. I've never taken. No, they did. It was on your tax return. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe yeah, I'll. Yeah, they, uh... they already got that money back. Okay. They, they just you. deducted it from your last tax return. That's right. They did, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, they did. That's right. Okay. So I, I then, then I can safely say I've never taken any money from the government for any purpose whatsoever. And my intention is to never have to. My intention yeah, is to I, never I can't say that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's do you were you were in the military, I, I the man. Pay me to kill people. Yeah, you were in the military. That's different. Oh God, would I do it again? Yeah, I my I never want to be in a position <laughs> where I'm dependent on government for anything. Right. You know, I want to make sure my retirement is fully funded, and that I don't even have to think about Social Security. You know what I mean? All right, we're out of time, Chris. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, y'all can find me tomorrow morning at 07.30 and every weekday at 07.30 on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, uh, Twitch, Rumble, and all the other ones everywhere else. Yeah, say uh, the, 07.30 s- every weekday morning, the Brushfire Mind. There you go. I was going to say, um, say the name of the channel. <laughs> we are the Brushfire Mind, and uh, it, tomorrow morning it'll be just me. Yeah, Cameron and I will do a show together on Wednesday, and then I'm going down to Florida to handle some business. 
So Cameron will be taking over solo on Thursday and Friday. All right. And we'll be back to business as normal next week. All right, good. Hold on. Don't, don't jump out. Let me wrap this up. Danielle will be back here on Thursday. I think, yeah, today's Monday. Danny will be back here Thursday. So come on back then, and we'll have more, uh, more nonsense to throw your way. Guys, thanks a lot. We love you. Take care.